Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. This morning's scripture reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 28 through 43. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions, so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him, and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healing the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, speak to us clearly this day. Speak to us so that we will not just hear your word, but that we will listen to it. And that in listening, that we would be transformed and transfigured and go forth into our world, not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. So one of the things that I like to do as a hobby in my spare time is I like to refinish furniture. I like to repurpose things. I mean, I have been known to bring tables home that I found on the side of the road that someone had discarded. 
and with a quizzical look for my wife, what are you going to do with it? Sometimes I'm not really sure. I just feel like it should be restored and not just cast aside. Other times I brought things home and have repurposed them, like taking old snow skis and chopping them up and making an Adirondack chair out of them. Or maybe barn wood and turning it into a table. Or my most recent project, taking an old baby grand piano that won't hold a tune that's lost its musical nature and turning it into a set of bookcases. You see, I like the project, the, the, the fact of working with my hands or maybe the problem solving or the creativity, but I think what I really like most about this idea of refinishing, refurbishing, or repurposing is taking the new or the old and giving it a new sense of purpose, a new meaning, sort of the transfiguration that happens where something that was sort of old and worn out something that needed to be reborn and shared again with the world, it happens. You know, the story of our faith is, is a story of transformation as well. It's a story of God taking the ordinary and turning it into the extraordinary, of God taking a look at the world around and saying, I want to rejuvenate it, I want to repurpose it, I want to give new birth, new life, so that all the world may enjoy what I've created. In our text today, Jesus and three of his favorite disciples, Peter, James, and John, they, they go to the mountaintop to pray. They go up there to pray, and while they're there praying, this miracle happens. In the midst of his prayers, Jesus' face, the text records, starts to turn white and brilliant and starts to glow. And the next thing you know, his whole outfit is such a brilliant, blinding light that even the disciples who want to sort of maybe take a nap can't even sleep. It's so bright, it wakes them up and energizes them. And while they're watching this happen, Moses and Elijah appear there on the mountaintop with Jesus. And it's in their conversation, Moses and Elijah and Jesus, that they talk about his ultimate purpose, the death and resurrection that is to come. And in the midst of this, the disciples are just stunned by what they see. They're just amazed that they talk and make no sense. Jesus, let's build a house for you and Moses and Elijah, knowing full well that Moses and Elijah have long since been called to heaven. But in the midst of that, then all of a sudden, this voice from the cloud thunders down. This is my son. Listen to him. And with the words embedded in their hearts, they leave the mountain and return back to the valley. See, the passage is about transformation, about the transfiguration, the realization of Christ's true divinity and who he really is and what his real mission, his real purpose and ministry is to be about. But it's also about transformation in our world and what we could expect and how we could experience the transformation that God could lay upon our hearts. And we learned that transformation happens when we are connected to God when we fulfill God's calling upon our lives and when we allow ourselves to be there at God's disposal and that God perfects us through the power and glory of his Holy Spirit. See, transformation happens for you and for me and our lives 
when we're connected, when we're tied so closely to God that we're listening and hearing what it is that God would have for us. See, Jesus and the disciples, they went to the mountain to pray for two reasons. They went, one, on sort of the metaphorical sense to be closer to God because they were up above the rest of the earth. But they also went for just that simple fact of being able to focus. Sure, Jesus could have prayed and did pray down in the valleys by the seashore, on the water, and in the towns and in the synagogues and everywhere else. But by being up on the mountain, free from that distraction, Jesus was able to focus and to hear and to listen. And so as he prays, remember it says his, his face was changed. It brightens up. It becomes brilliant and glowing. And it tells Peter and James and John that they are in the presence of God. It's in that moment that God has come near to earth and near to them and has drawn them in. Moses and Elijah is present for them. And they realize that they are standing on holy ground, that they are in the presence of the Most High. And the lesson for you and for me is that if we seek transformation in our hearts and transformation in our lives that, and transformation in our world and even in our church and in our denomination, that we've got to pray. That we've got to pray free from distraction so that we can hear what it is that God would be saying to us. It's when we pray free from, from distraction, free from the noise and the hubbub of the world, that we might hear God speaking back to us. Sure, that voice could come in a booming, loud voice that echoes from the mountainsides to the mountainsides, or maybe it's a gentle whisper in our hearts. Maybe God speaks to us through the voice of those around us who say something that the first time we heard it, it didn't make sense, but the second time they heard it, for some reason we stood up and we listened. They are speaking the prophetic voice of God for us to hear. Or maybe God speaks to us in the troubles of our heart. Sometimes when we witness or we hear things and we see what goes on in our hearts won't be restful. Our hearts are, are uncomfortable, they're troubled by it. Maybe that is God speaking to us and that we should take note and listen. Or as we watch the events unfold in the world around us and we ask ourselves, what does this mean? Maybe we need to listen a little more clearly. Listen as if we are up on the mountaintop because God truly is speaking to us in those moments. And so I pray that as we seek this idea of transformation in our hearts and in our church and in our world, that we are constantly finding ourselves in prayer, that we find ourselves away from the noise of the world and listening to God and hearing what it is that God has for us. For when we're connected, for when we're in prayer, that transformation begins with us and within us. But the transformation story that we read today is also about fulfillment. See, when Jesus is there on the mountainside and Moses and Elijah appear, they represent the law and the prophets. Moses, the law given to him on Mount Horeb by God, and the prophets, Elijah, those that spoke for God giving admonitions to the world to be right with God and to listen to what God would have for the world to do and to say and to hear. So when Jesus is there, we realize that he is both the fulfillment of the law and even takes it a step further. He fulfills the law and the prophets, 
that he takes what has been preached and taught to the world for so many years and centuries, and now he says, it's embodied in me. And my message for you to carry forth to the world is a message of God's love, a message of forgiveness, a message of God's grace. Because as we know in the text, all the law and the prophets hang on the love of Christ. All the law and the prophets hang on the mission and ministry of Christ in our world where he ate with sinners, he lifted the poor, cared for the sick, comforted those who were sick and dying. But see, the transformation is more than just the fulfillment that we see in Christ being present with Moses. See, Peter, James, and John, in in the midst of this, in their awe of what they saw, of this brilliance of God that surrounded them, they heard these words, this is my son, listen to him. And this idea of listening to God was not just hear his words, but internalize them, take them in their heart, and to do them. Be not just hearers of the word is essentially what he was saying, but be doers of his words. And so for us, as we seek this idea of transformation around us, we have to do the same. We have to listen to what he taught us. Remember, Jesus said, row out into the deep water and cast your nets over the side and be fishers of people. Remember, he said, follow me. Love your enemies. Do good and love your neighbor. Care for the spiritually, the emotionally, the relationally ill and sick of our world. Lift each other up, hold each other closely to you. Seek each other out. Seek the least and the last and the lost of this world and share with them my love so that all the world would know from the mountainsides to the valleys, from the seashore to the plains, that all the world would know that I am a God of love and that you are my children and that I love you. See, if we seek a transformation of our world, if we seek a transformation of our heart, of our denomination, of ourselves, if we do that, then we too have to listen to Christ and listen to his good news and we have to share that with all the world and tell all the world that there is a God in heaven who loves us just for who we are, loves us just as we've been created, loves us fully for the people that God has made us to be. And that when we share that word, when we listen so to his teachings, and we make it possible for the world to hear them through our actions, then we are a part of that transformation. So ponder with me this morning, who are the people in your lives, who are the people around you that need to hear that message? That you need to go to and not just be a hearer of God's word, but a doer of God's word, sharing that love with them so that they know that they are wanted, that they are cared about, that they are loved not only by you, but by your church and by the world around them, but most importantly, by God in heaven. Who are those people? And as we go to them, we've got to remember that transformation begins not just with prayer. It's not lived out through fulfillment, living and listening to God, but it happens through the power and the glory of God's Spirit. It is perfected in heaven. In that moment of transfiguration of Christ, it's clear that God will perfect what we bind on earth, what we attempt to do, that God's Spirit will pour out over each of us in this place 
and on every person that we're in ministry with and that God's Spirit will work in their lives. We do the first part by staying close to God and by listening to what He says. But God's Spirit adds the glory so that it bounds glory into glory all around the world. And see, it's that transforming power that we know that our faith is based on that, that transforming power. And that's where we anchor our faith and our hope for the world. The 1984 film, Places of the Heart, it's set in 1935 in a small West Texas town. And the scene opens with Edna and her family. They're having Sunday lunch. Her husband is a deputy sheriff and they also have a small cotton farm. And as they're having lunch, he gets a call to go out because there's a disturbance down by the railroad tracks. As they go down to the tracks, there's a young man who's disturbed, he's angry, he's upset at life. He's really distraught and he's holding a gun. The sheriff goes to him and he tries to calm him down and in the conversation, in his distraughtness, the young man accidentally fires the weapon and shoots and kills Edna's husband. Now, the young man is a young African-American man, and quickly vigilante justice catches hold, and the vigilantes, they capture him, and to seek justice and revenge, they kill this young man. And so by the end of the afternoon, Edna has had her life completely turned upside down and her town completely torn apart. And she's distraught at the loss of her husband. She's distraught at the violence in her community. She's distraught at what this means for her future. And as the days pass, she tries to figure out how she's going to make ends meet because the farm really doesn't bring a whole lot of income and she really only managed the household. Her husband took care of the farm. She's not sure how she's going to get there and get the farm, the crop planted into market. She's not really sure what she's doing. She takes on a blind man who is a boarder. She takes him on to provide a little bit of income for the house because no one else wants him. So she strings up rope throughout the house so he can find his way around. And one night, as they're sitting down to dinner, there's a knock at the back door. And there's a sharecropper who comes and he just asks, ma'am, I'm hungry, do you have any food? And he says, I'll be glad to chop wood for you. And so she scrapes together from their meager table a plate for this man too, another mouth to feed. And while he eats on the back porch, he notices her silver there. And in a moment of weakness and desperation, he pockets some of it. And as he leaves and scurries off into the night, the sheriff catches him on what he perceives as the wrong side of town. And so the sheriff shakes him down and he finds his silver and recognizes his Edna's and he brings him back to her house so that he can confess his thievery. And then the sheriff will seek justice. So as he talks to Edna, he says, Edna, I caught this man with your silver. I think he stole it from you. And Edna, seeing enough pain in her community, she says to the sharecropper and to the sheriff, she says, now I told you to take that over to so-and-so's house to get polished. You didn't go straight there, did you? The sheriff is as dumbfounded as a sharecropper, and the sheriff just leaves him there. The sharecropper just is amazed. 
So they strike this uneasy pact. She says, you sleep out there in the barn. We'll talk about this tomorrow. And the next day comes, and as the story unfolds, what ends up happening is they strike this deal. He knows how to grow cotton. She has the land. She has no idea what to do. And he says, if you'll let me stay, I'll help you grow the cotton. I'll help you get it to market. I'll help you keep your family together. And so they work this uneasy trade, this uneasy deal. And so she has to go and do business in town because she can and he cannot. So she goes and she does the business. And when it comes time to bring the crop to market, she's been out of the fields right alongside the rest of the pickers picking the cotton, trying desperately to save her family. They get to the cotton gin first in line because they know the first crop in brings an extra bonus. Sharecropper shows her how the man running the gin is trying to cheat her out of her just reward. And again, for poking his nose where it doesn't belong, vigilante justice hunts him down. There's more drama in the town around broken relationships amongst husbands and wives and families, but I want you to really focus on this last image of the movie because I think all of it to be said, this is the image that matters most. The last five minutes of the movie, actually it's the last four minutes and 27 seconds. It's a church service and the preacher is droning on, unlike me, droning on and he gets around to the communion liturgy eventually. Don't worry, we'll get there too. And then they begin to pass the elements. So they sit there and the the camera pans to the first pew on the right side of the church. And as they pass the elements, you see some of the families that have been disruptive and disrupted by infidelity, and you see that they're back together, and you think, ah, Sunday morning redemption. It passes to the next row, and you see the blind man given the communion elements, and he passes them to the children. And you think, ah, redemption. But then you see members of the vigilante gang, and they're there. And they don't seem as scary. And you begin to think, ah, redemption. And they pass the plate to the sharecropper who is back in town and he's healed from his wounds. And you think, wait a minute. Is this here or is this above? And the plate passes to Edna who passes it to her husband. And in that moment, you realize watching this, that we're on a whole different plane. That here at the Lord's table, there's a whole different thing going on, that this redemption has been perfected and has been glorified, has been surrounded in God's glory right there in front of us. But he takes the elements. And who does he pass them to? But the young man from the beginning of the movie, the young man who shot the sheriff in the street, and as they pass the elements, the final words are this. Final words of the whole movie. The peace of Christ. And it's in that moment, it's in that moment that we realize what we bind on earth is perfected in heaven. That what we try to do when we live God's gospel message of love for the world, that God surrounds us with his glory, 
and transforms the world right before our eyes. And while that happened at the heavenly table in some plane above, that when we come to the table of our Lord down here, the same can happen as well. Because when we come to the table, God's brilliance shines all around each and every one of us. See, for we are standing on holy ground here in this place. We're standing on holy ground, listening for God to speak to us through prayer, through song, through word, through sacrament. And see, we're listening to him, especially this day. We're listening to him and listening to his message of love. And as we hear it, as we hear it into our hearts, let us go forth. As we listen to what God says to us, let us go forth and do it. Let us go forth into the world and let's tell the world, God loves you. No matter who you are, no matter how God created you, no matter who God created you fully to be, God loves you. And you matter. God loves you, that this church loves you, this congregation loves you for the person that God has created you to be. But even more so, let us tell the world, I love you. Let us show the world what's that mean. And as we come to the table sharing in the meal of our Lord, as we break the bread, as we lift the cup, let us realize that as we do it, that God is transforming you and me, transforming us, transforming our world, transforming our church into the place that God really wants it to be. High on the mountaintop, surrounded by his brilliance and his glory. And in that moment of transfiguration, it is as perfect as it will ever be right here at the table, side by side, brothers and sisters, children of God. And it's in that rebirth, in that repurposing, in that refinishing, in that higher glory that we find that we have a new purpose and a new calling to go out into the world and to be a part of its transformation. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.